0: Good do afternoon. do Good morning. Good evening. Just when I have all the answers, all the questions change. One day the world looks so normal, next it looks so strange. Yes, it does. One day the world looks so normal, next it looks so strange. Hello, it is Monday. I said good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I don't know when you're listening to this with me, for me, here at this moment in time. It is afternoon. And I guess the reason I started off by saying good morning is I had original, or originally, I had originally wanted to do a Monday morning quarterback session. But then I did my day job for a while instead, and now it's afternoon. So I guess I'm doing a Monday afternoon quarterback. Doesn't matter one way or the other, doesn't. What, I, uh, what I'm Monday morning quarterbacking is last night's uh, open mic uh, performance at the Comedy Store. Performance. I like to perform. This here right now is a performance of a kind. Because even though there aren't any people around me in real time... There's something psychological about knowing that somebody may be listening to this at some point in the future. Something psychological? That's vague. Isn't everything psychological? I guess there's something that's uh, psychologically. Uh, there's something psychological. Hmm. How can I put that? It. 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 Just turning micro. micro well, if I could talk. If only. Turning on a microphone just changes your psychology. It does. I know it does. And I say you generally with a capital Y because I know it does. Even people who are very comfortable in front of a microphone, will, you know, your your mentality changes when you turn on a microphone, even if there's nobody around you. Even if you're recording it just for yourself, like I used to do. When I was a kid, I had a cassette tape recorder, because I'm old, and I used to record stuff in that cassette tape recorder that I had no intention of sharing with anybody, but I know that when I turned it on, there was just something happened, something different happened, right? So there's that. I'm, I'm fairly certain that you have felt that or something like that. When ca- same thing with a camera, even just in a family situation. I'm not talking about entertainment stuff. I'm just talking about uh, general stuff in your life. When somebody f- puts a camera in your face, it, it changes things. I think that's also, that also there's something about the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. It even goes down to the the subatomic level. Right? Just the fact that something is being observed changes it. Or in this case, not even being observed, just knowing that, uh, well, I I guess in a sense when you're turning on a recorder, that recorder is observing you. So, taking it to the next level is actually performing in real time in front of other humans, which I enjoy doing, but I don't do all that much anymore. Back in the mid to late 1980s and into the very early 1990s. I was doing a lot of stand-up comedy. I was immersed in it from 86 to 1991. I did 700 plus shows, and I know because I'm a geek. I have a calendar somewhere in my stash of journals. (laughs) Yeah, not diaries, folks. Journals. I'm a guy. I don't keep a diary. I keep a journal. But I was reading through my journal entries from 1986. just to, I was wanting to find out exactly when it was that I first went up on stage at the comedy store because that year I know that I was starting to take some beginning improv and acting classes and and just dabbling and doing something, and when I think about it now, I go, "Wow, that, that really wasn't that long after college in the whole scheme of things." Because I graduated in 1981, and even though I, you know, I would play my guitar in my bedroom or do whatever other creative things I felt like doing, like I had this cartoon character, Ricky Roach, that I had drawn in college for a cartooning class, and I, and I had submitted Ricky to some cartooning syndicates, but I wasn't really serious. Again, looking back, you get historical perspective, you know, both globally and also locally. You get historical perspective, right? It takes years to sometimes look back and go, wow, I really didn't put forth that much effort on that, even though I thought I was serious at the time. What I'd done with Ricky Roach is I had uh, I had drawn 30... 30 comic strips for 30 consecutive days just to see if I could do that and to see if being a daily newspaper cartoonist was something that I wanted to do. And so, yeah, I made that huge commitment of doing that for a month. (laughs) And then I immediately, rather than trying to work my way up the food chain through local publications uh, like The Reader or something like that, I just immediately sent my... 30 comic strips all the way to the top to King Feature Syndicate, United Feature Syndicate, or whatever. Yeah, just... And then when I got my inevitable rejections back, I just stopped. That's the road to success. Try something for 30 days, go straight to the top, and then stop. Go. I don't mean... I didn't go straight to the top. I submitted straight to the top. I mean, it's such a, it's such a naive thing to do, but you know what? Sometimes naive works. And there's something that Steve Martin said about delusion. And I can't remember exactly, but uh, if you have not read or his book or listened to it, it's uh, his autobiography. He's a guy who's been notoriously private throughout his life, but then he wrote an autobiography not long ago, a couple of years ago. Born Standing Up, I believe, is the name. Oh, God, I should remember. But I'm just terrible with details. If it's not the exact name, I mean, it's close enough, right? You can Google it or look up, look it up on Amazon. I would recommend the audiobook because it's him. It's, they didn't hire a voiceover artist to do it. It's Steve Martin reading his autobiography. It's, it's amazing. So why did I get off on that tangent? And will I ever get back to the original point of this, which was the Monday morning quarterbacking? I will. I'll get there. I guess the point is, oh, delusion. That's right. Steve Martin mentioned, uh, and I'll just paraphrase, it was something to the effect of just, I don't know, little doses of delusion, you know, that are important. I, I wish I could do it justice, but you know what? I don't. I actually don't. I, I, I wish you would just look that up. If you haven't read it already or heard the audiobook, it's it's worth looking into. I guess the point being that sometimes when I look back at myself as being naive or being a newbie or being a wannabe, it's like, well, you know what? Everybody who has made it in any field in their life at some point was a wannabe. You got to be a wannabe before you become whatever it is you end up being, right? I guess wannabe gets a bad name because it implies that the person who is the wannabe doesn't deserve to be or doesn't have the talent to be. But who's to say? Like last night. Okay, so I'm getting sliding backwards into the Monday morning quarterback part. I was going to talk about this last night after I got back from... One of my rare open mic performances, or rare performances of any kind these days. I hadn't been up on stage in about six months uh, since the last time I did. Got the urge to do the open mic at the comedy store. And and then, man, it's amazing how fast six months can go. I swear I thought, oh, you know, it was a couple months ago. And I looked it up in my calendar. Oh, shit, it was six months ago. Uh, and then I read... My 1986 journal entries, and I went, oh my God, 30 years. It's been 30 years since I first set foot on that stage at the comedy store in La Jolla, California. What? Time is so weird. I mean, I, isn't it? I had asked I've asked some people if they've had this feeling. I know I'm not the only one. In fact, recently I heard somebody on a podcast on a podcast reading about uh reading something from a couple thousand years ago or where the guy was talking about oh, I can't remember what it was, but he was talking about time and about it was the same kind of feeling of how when you hold these things in your mind from your childhood and there, it's just as if it's happening now, that, that the memories from your childhood and the memories from just moments ago are residing in the same place in your brain. This is how this person put this from a couple thousand years ago. And I said, like, oh, yes, I've had that feeling. And I'm, most people have, I'm sure. I've asked some people who sit, claim they haven't had that feeling, but okay, okay. I guess, you know, describing feelings is hard anyway. And maybe, I don't know. I I guess I'll just take them at their word. But uh, for me, I know that like last night, being up at that stage, even though I've been back there since 1986, I've been there a handful of times. I performed there regularly from 1986 to 1991. And then I took a long vacation from that place. And it really wasn't until... Uh, not long after my mom died in 2003. So that's, see, 91, 01, 11. I have to count. I got a math degree. Have I ever mentioned that? <laughs> I tend to mention that occasionally, but I got a math degree. And the reason I mention that in this context is still, I still get messed up by the fact that we're in the 2010s now and 1990 seems like 10 years ago, not 20 or actually, 1990 is 26 years ago. Oh, my God. I got to cut on my fingers to verify that. <laughs> so I went from 1991, right? 91, 01, 11. Oh, my God, I can't. <laughs> I'm losing track. It's been that long ago that my mom died, too. That That's just, that's just bizarre. It's all bizarre. Time is just a mind fucker, isn't it? Mind fucker. Fucker? Hardly know her. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing to say right after mentioning my mom, my deceased mom. <laughs> I, I I know I've mentioned this recently, too. I, I can actually, I can talk about my my dead mom without crying. And now, in fact, exactly the opposite. I can laugh. Because what are you going to do, right? we're all going to die I hate to break it to you don't like to dwell on it but it, you know sometimes i think maybe thinking about it more often in a healthy way not an obsessive way not a dreadful way is uh, is actually it is actually good because it reminds you that every day is important and especially like i started to talk about earlier when i look back at my journals from 1986 and flip through the pages and not, not just the stuff I was doing performing wise, but just life wise, just being in the middle of or towards the end of my first marriage, actually. Some on again, off again stuff that was going on, fighting with the wife, she moves in with her parents, we make up, she comes back and all this crap that happened before the inevitable divorce. And I say inevitable, I don't know, it didn't seem inevitable at the time, judging by my journal. <laughs> we thought we could keep that shit going not of out of obligation because you just don't get divorced right you just don't quit don't be a quitter god damn it i that is some unhealthy shit i tell you you know i i i mean like everything the truth lies somewhere in the middle but quitting yeah okay so if you just like Constantly try things and don't give them whatever you might think is a fair chance, and you just constantly keep quitting. Or maybe maybe if you um, quit in an irresponsible way, that's bad. But you know, when it comes right on to it, you can't possibly keep doing everything you've started in your life. You'd, you'd be overwhelmed. It would be it would be physically impossible. That every single thing you tried or every job... Well, no, I guess I guess if you. If you never quit a job, that means you would just still be in your first job. Unless you got fired. But now we're just playing. We, I, am just playing with uh, circumstances. But the point is, quitting, I think, gets a bad rap. Or it should be called something else. You just you stop. Or it ran its course. Like with my first marriage. And then eventually my second marriage. Which I think was a little more successful. Pardon me while I sip some coffee. <clears throat> and I'm sure, yeah. I'll look, right after I sip the coffee, it's not the best for the voice, but I like coffee, so I'm not going to worry about it. <clears throat> you can't just keep doing everything you've ever started, and this whole thing—that's this, this idea that was planted in my brain, and I'm sure planted in a lot of your brains when you were younger—is just, yeah, don't be a quitter. Quitters never prosper or whatever the fuck. Bullshit. You got to quit. Everybody, everybody in life, there are people at the top of the fucking mountain have quit things along the way. You change course. You do stuff until you don't do them. You, then you go do something else, right? Of course you're going to quit. One of the feelings I got last night, though, is oh, I'm thinking, oh, man, if only. And I, I did vocalize this to the crowd. If only I'd kept doing this for the last 30 years. But the fact is, I just didn't have it in me. I wasn't a loser. I tried. I did it for five years, give or take. Pursued it seriously. In fact, at one point, I quit my day job. That's how serious I was. I had gotten out of college in 1981. And then I went on to work in the computer as a computer programmer for a couple of years. And then I quit that and went to work with my parents at their rent-a-car company for what seemed like forever. (laughs) I was reading some of those journal entries too. This week, I just started doing that. I started reading some journal entries and boy, that's a mixed bag. Some of the stuff I'm going, oh yeah, I remember that. And other stuff I'm going, what? Really? That's, That's what I was thinking at the time? But here I do remember. I I remember this. I was fucking miserable working at that rent-a-car company. But I felt obligated because it was a family business. So I felt, and I, this is this isn't from my memory now. This is from what I wrote back then. I felt obligated. The only reason I stuck it out is because I felt obligated. I didn't want to disappoint my parents. Oh my God! Yeah, that's the way to lead a healthy life. <laughs> which is why I don't like to uh, lay those kind of head trips on my kids. Now, see, I'm not totally blaming my parents for that, because at some point I had to take ownership for the fact that I, I bought into that. But I just I would venture to guess at some point that the reason I had this idea that you don't disappoint your parents is because that's what was instilled in me. You know, in all slash in most slash many of us, you know, from... Uh, there's a lot of stuff, even even now, I'm 56 years old, and I'm feeling pretty good about stuff, about pretty good, I'm not going to qualify it that way, I'm feeling very good about stuff. The only reason I think I held back, the only reason I think I started holding back right now at that moment is because I was afraid, oh no, I can't admit that things are good. What if somebody's listening to this, and they're having uh, problems in their life, and they listen to me saying that things are going well, and they go "fuck you" and your happy life. <laughs> well, I tell you, fifty-six years on planet Earth, it has not all been rosy. Even though I'm a privileged person in the fa- in the sense that I am a white male in America, that's that's a fuck. That's a lot of stuff going in my favor that I had nothing to do with. I understand that. But even with that, there's been some emotional pain in my life. I already mentioned a couple of marriages that have come and gone. That's never, that's not fun. (laughs) Jobs that have come and gone, the disappointing of my parents. But here's what happened. Here's a quick thumbnail sketch of the 80s. 1981, graduate college. Go Go straight into working as a computer programmer, uh, 1983-ish to 1984. Worked at my parents' record company. Went back in 1984 to uh, work at work as a computer programmer again. And then in 1989, okay, the 1986 I started going up on stage in various capacities. And then 1989, quit. I quit my day job. I I wanted it that much. I quit my day job and that last, so I had the comfy, secure computer programming job and I quit that to go work for minimum wage at the comedy store and I loved it. One thing about the comedy store is that uh, most of the people working there are comedians. That's just, that's the way it's been set up is the, the people work in the door, the people work in the bar uh, just you're it's staffed by comedians. it gives comedians a way to at least make some kind of some kind of income while pursuing stand-up comedy and then and then the perks are that you get the get some spots at the store and unlike me right now where you know I don't have that privilege anymore. I had that back way back in the day, but now I'm one of the people that calls in and I may or may not get a spot, so it's gone full circle back to thirty years ago. Because so that's one of the things that's the same. So here's here's I'll eventually lead back to some specifics about last night, but it's all tied together because here here's here's the thing. It's it's just that there's been thirty years and none of it wasted. There's times when I thought, oh my God, what am I doing with my life and it's wasted or whatever. No, none of it's wasted. Even wasted time, I don't think is wasted. What we call wasted time is not wasted because, you know what? When you're supposedly wasting time, that's that's a rest. You need rest in between work, right? It's a luxury that we have, many of us have in this day and age, in this country, is that you can waste time. I mean, it used to be, in fact, I've been watching this uh, documentary, uh, uh, a Ken Burns documentary on the Roosevelts, and, you know, just being reminded. In fact, the part I'm watching right now is in the middle of of the Depression, right after uh, Franklin Roosevelt got elected, and the country hoping that he could be the one to pull them out of the Depression. But, you know, at the time, the country, not only, at least according to the documentarian, uh, and, well, and, and he pulled this from an article. It was like some people even wondered if the country was ever going to pull out of it. It wasn't a matter of, of when, but that some people thought that that was it, that they were entering the dark ages. There was a quote pulled from a newspaper where a, 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 an economist had been asked, "Has there ever been this kind of a economic crash?" any time in history? And he said, yes, it was called the Dark Ages and that lasted 400 years. So some people actually thought that they would never pull out of that. And wow, how did I get on that? Oh, because, (laughs) I don't know, historical perspective, maybe. I was talking about life and how there's no wasted time. Oh, I know why, because I'm watching this and I'm getting that historical perspective and going, you know, people back then, didn't have the luxury that I have of not having to worry about stuff so much and about having, wasting time. I mean, if they were lucky enough to have a job, they were being worked to literally to death. And then a lot of them didn't have jobs and were having a scrap for food or waiting in soup lines. I want to talk about historical perspective. So was that wasted? I didn't plan on going here. Why did I go here? Was the depression wasted? <laughs> I guess it gave people perspective. Once they did come out of the other end, you know, I didn't live through that. I'm old, but not that old. But people came out of the other end of that and, you know, would appreciate life a lot more. I'm not going to say that they were ha- happy that the depression happened or that World War II happened, but I know people come out of the other end of stuff like that. And I know from my own micro version of that kind of stuff coming out of the uh, tail end of a divorce getting past the initial pain of it and then feeling good about life I've had that happen so were those marriages failures no it just it was part of life was it a waste of time for me to quit my day job and pursue stand-up comedy uh, for a few years i mean i because i did that for five years quit my day job for like three years was that a waste of time no it gave me um it, not only it gave me experience in, in front of people it, it uh so there's character building involved there what else did it give me oh i can i can say well at least i tried there's that and i found out that you know Uh, actually performing. I didn't have problems with the performing part. Of course, you know, there's always problems. You're going to have bad performances, bad sets. But that wasn't ultimately what ended my pursuit of stand-up. It was the business part. I just, you know, doing well on stage and making a living are two very different things. So about last night, I'm 26 minutes into this and I haven't really said anything specific about last night, but that's fine because, you know, that's, that's kind of the point of where I am now in my life and reading a lot of uh, my journal entries and the kind of things I was um, obsessing over the machinations, (laughs) machinations, the mental masturbations, I've done a lot of that mentally and physically like that separates me from people, right? I've heard there's a 95% of people masturbate and 5% are liars. Survey says. <laughs> so last night I went to the comedy store I called. There's this process that you go through and so I I went through the process. I I was here in my apartment, part of the process was deciding if I even wanted to call. And, if, and here's the thing. If I call, I may or may not even get a spot. The place has been there for over 30 years, but it's, you know, it's, there, it's, it's not like comedy is uh, not as popular as it was back in the 80s or 90s. I mean, there's always more people wanting to go on stage than there are spots available. So I had to decide, do I even want to go up? Do I even want to call? And part of my, it, I'm not really agonizing over it, but part of the thing is that lately I've been having this uh, idea that if I, re- if I don't want to do something, I'm not going to do it. I have that luxury. If there's something I really don't, if I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it. In fact, it's like th- taking it to the extreme Something I read from uh, Derek Sivers, who founded CD Baby. And he wrote a blog post once. It was a very short and succinct blog post. Uh, It was, hell yeah or no. And that's it in a nutshell. You know, when you're faced with something, you get to a certain point in life where you don't have to do things, which is actually a good portion of life. We just don't know it, maybe. But uh, when you don't have to do things, And somebody asks you to do something. If you don't get that feeling like, hell yeah, I want to do that, then don't do it. Now, I'm not preaching here. I'm not saying this is for you. Maybe you'd like to do things that you're lukewarm about or you feel obligated to do because your friend, your friend or your mom or somebody says you got to do this. You don't got to do it. So bringing it back to yesterday. Yesterday. I was on the fence and then I thought, oh, okay, if I'm on the fence, that means I shouldn't call because hell yeah or no. Right. But then again, like I mentioned earlier, like I alluded to earlier, the truth generally lies somewhere in the middle. So I thought, no, you know what? I'm leaning more towards going, let me bootstrap myself. I'm going to get up off my ass, walk around, let action, let some action wake me up and motivate me, start thinking about if I do go, what will I talk about? And then next thing I know, I'm calling for a spot. And here was my major goal. Unlike a lot of past times when I've gone there, uh, in fact, even most recently when I went there six months ago, I wasn't really, th- I w- w- my goal was not that I was pursuing comedy again. My, my goal was just, I wanted, I felt like performing. And I got up and I performed. But what I did when I was up there um, was I, I felt uncomfortable. Now that's understandable after not doing it for a while because before six months ago, I think it had been a couple of years since I'd gone up on stage when a friend of mine, there's a comedian friend of mine who has continued doing it for the last 30 plus, uh, 30 plus years. He's, his name is Lamont Ferguson. He had called me a couple of years ago and booked me a handful of times at this at this uh, gig. And I went up and I did that back then, but uh, so that was more that was a you know actually a gig in front of an audience. It wasn't an open mic, and so I so w- I just you know went mining for some of my old material because it's usually it's not cool when you're in front of a paying audience to test new material, so i I just regurgitated stuff that I'd done for years. So when I came back six months ago, I thought I'm not going to do that. I had I had been uh, trying to get up on stage up in Hollywood for a few years, and my goal then was. What was my goal? That goal was to again because I felt the urge to perform. So there's always that as an underlying goal. What else was there? Oh, that one was uh, it was Meltdown Comics. It's uh, the nerdest, nerdest Meltdown. Nerd Melt, they they mashed up those words. Just like I'm trying to mash up thoughts right now. But that was, I had heard that there was this really cool um, open mic up in Hollywood. And the thing about Hollywood is a lot of times you go to open mics and they're very cold rooms. Because it's industry, it's a lot of other comedians, and it's a lot of people just sitting there with their arms crossed, staring at you. and <laughs> Stuff where you would get laughs in San Diego or any other city in the country. And they... In Hollywood, there's a lot of stages where they just sit there and stare at you. Because it's just, you know, it's a a lot of jaded, jaded people who aren't happy with their lack of success in Hollywood. So they sit there and stare at you. There's a lot of that up there. And I know it's not just me. And this this is one of those cool things that when I listen to podcasts and to like Louis C.K. or Chris Rock or just any people who've been doing this forever and who are successful by anybody's measure of success and they talk about uh performing in rooms like that as being hell so that made me feel a lot better it wasn't just me because i'm some nobody it's, ju- it's just the way it is up there but contrary to that there was this room this nerd melt room related to the nerdist chris hardwick and uh he kept talking about it as being a really nice, warm room and very supportive. And even though there's still most the usual thing about mostly comedians in the audience, it was a supportive room. So I wanted to get up on that stage. So I put together three new minutes, because one goal was I'm not going to regurgitate my old stuff. And I put together three new minutes, and I swear this is going to eventually lead to what happened last night. <laughs> three new minutes, and then I proceeded to go up there. A handful of times over a couple of years, and never got a spot, because, like I said, there's always more people wanting to get on stage than there are spots, and especially when it's a hot room in Hollywood, oh my God, the amount of people who threw their names in into the hat, I mean the literal hat you know we have we you the processes you had to be there in person, so unlike the La Jolla store or some other open mics where you can call in and then call back later and see if you made the list. This is, no, you had to be there in person. So this is a commitment because I'm driving from San Diego County to Hollywood. This is a, by the time I drive up there, put my name in the list, see if I'm on the list. No, I'm not on the list. I watch a little bit of the show just to be supportive and also because, hey, I'm up there. I might as well watch some comedy even though I'm not performing. So I did a little of that, turn back, drive home. I mean, we're talking about at least... At least five or six, seven hours <laughs> of time and driving to and from Los Angeles, yeah, so I did that. actually, so I and what I didn't do was perform. But what I did do is I nurtured that three minutes for a couple of years, and I had this, I just kept running it through my head. This pretty much the same three minutes. I didn't change the content. All I did was I kept polishing that turd. (laughs) I shouldn't even say it's a turd because I had no way of finding out. The thing about comedy is even though you write what you think might be funny because it amuses you, you don't know until you do it in front of people. And even on any given night, just because something doesn't get a laugh, it doesn't mean it's not funny. It might mean you didn't word it properly or maybe that small sample of people at the open mic. Because a lot of times open mics tend to have smaller audiences Eh, you shouldn't give up on somebody just because it didn't work one time, you know? So I shouldn't say it was a turd, but all I can say is this. I polished the shit out of that. And I had it word for word, which I swear it's leading me to what, what I did last night. I had this three minutes, word for word, memorized. So then finally I said, okay, maybe... My goal of just being able to perform, perform in that one room in Hollywood that I'm not getting a spot at. Maybe I'll just give up on that. I got tired of driving up to LA several times, spending six hours each time to not get a spot. I thought, nah, you know what? Let me go back to the comedy store in La Jolla. Let me go back home. So I did that. Called there. I can't remember how many times it took me to get a spot, but I eventually got a spot, and then I went up with that three polished minutes. And, and, and the thing about it is when I say polished, usually when somebody say that, says they have polished material, it means it's tested, it's good, it's tested, it's rock solid, it's, it's gone through the process of being vet, vetted, vet, vetted, vetted. It's, it's been done in front of an audience or multiple audiences, preferably. This is not polished in that sense. It was polished in the sense of just like, uh, like holding a rock in your hand for two years and just sandpapering it. <laughs> so it gets really, really shiny, I guess. But that's a bad metaphor. Point is, I, I, I was already tired of this three minutes and I hadn't even done it in front of anybody. And so I did that. And eh, it just didn't feel good. It just didn't feel good. Didn't get much reaction. And also, I was just doing kind of like what I'm starting to do now. I was like searching for... Oh, I, I don't know, I just felt uneasy and searching for thoughts. And, oh, wait, what was that next thing again? Because, you know, no matter how much you have something memorized, when you're in front of an audience, it changes. So I would, like, I lost my place, and should I, oh, I, I don't know. You know. It wasn't pleasant. So then I went away for six months. and Which brings me to last night. So here was my goal. I thought, you know what, I can do like like what I'm doing now. I don't have the I have the ability to talk uh, without having a script, and whether it's entertaining or not, I don't know. It's not up for me to decide that. But I know I can do it, so I thought, let me just do that. But. That's a real rookie mistake if you think you can just get up on stage without any idea what you're going to talk about. So I thought, okay, I'm not going to just get up there and talk for three minutes. I'll have some idea of what I'm doing. And I've done this in the past. This is nothing new. This is not uncharted territory for me because in these several hundred performances and probably then since 1991 until now, let's just say I'm probably pushing a thousand performances. I've, there's been many times when I went up on stage knowing where I was going to start, but I would purposely not plan the rest of it. Just knowing that I've got enough material swirling around in my brain that I could I could do that. So it's not about just getting up there and winging it and not talking about anything in particular or not having any punchlines. Like, this is not what I would do. I wouldn't do this in front of an audience. But with that said, there's something to be said for doing The spirit of this. And that's what I did last night. That was the mission I set out to achieve. And it was mission accomplished. And not in the George Bush on the deck of an aircraft carrier sense of mission accomplished. I mean, it was actually mission accomplished. More in the Tom Cruise in the Mission Impossible series of movies sense. Yes. Last night, I got my spot going up number four, which is fine, which is good. Although I wouldn't have cared if it was number one or number or at the end. It doesn't matter. Because here's what I was going to do. And here's what I did. (sighs) Hear that? I was going to breathe. And I was going to look at people and make, here's what what I was going to do and what I did. So do I talk about it in the future tense or in the past tense or in the present tense? Let's see. Here's what I did. I stood on stage. I paused. I made eye contact with people. I connected. I had a conversation. I had material. So unlike what I'm doing right now, yes, I did have some jokes but they were not memorized. They were just bulletized, which is the way I prefer to do it. I somehow lost sight of that when I had my three memorized minutes that I was carrying around in my wallet and my brain for two years. So this isn't new, but it, but it kind of is new. Because even though I've done this before, I'm feeling different because I'm 56. I'm not 26 or all the numbers in between. I'm 56 years old. And also, I'm not pursuing this anymore. What I'm pursuing is being in the moment. Silence is okay. It really is. And this, part of it is not, part of it's about performing, but part of it's, it's about life. And that's, that's not that I want to get on stage and talk about that. Although if I feel like it, I will. But that could get to be a little preachy and boring, maybe. But who am I to say? I think I've mentioned on previous episodes or an episode of this podcast that Judd Apatow had come to that realization And I don't know him personally, but I just heard him on a podcast, which is where I hear a lot of things. Which, by the way, is why I'm doing this. Because at some point I realized I want to produce what I consume. When I've gone through a lot of periods of time where I've not done anything uh, performing-wise, and I thought, well, what do I want to do now? It's like, well, what do you consume? I listen to a lot of podcasts. Okay, do a podcast. So here I am in my Monday morning quarterback <laughs> or Monday afternoon quarterbacking. Or if I keep talking Monday evening quarterbacking, bottom line is last night was good. It felt good. Did I get amazing responses from the audience? No, I got some because I was making eye contact with people, I noticed that even when they weren't laughing, they were smiling. And that's not an excuse to say, oh, you know, they, uh, I, I, I wasn't getting laughs, but I did okay. Now, I'm, what I, here's what I'm talking about. Let's put it in perspective. There's, it's a room that seats 200 plus people, 250. I remember from being there back in the day and working in that room, we used to count heads, count tickets. Seats on the order of 250 people. And there were probably 10 to 15 actual like civilian audience members sitting far away from the stage because that's kind of what happens on open mic nights a lot. When there aren't a lot of people in the room, they, they feel uncomfortable to sit right next to the stage. So they're sitting back a ways. And then maybe another 10 or 15 comedians. So let's just say 20 to 30 people in the room at any given time. That's enough. I've performed to smaller audiences and had a great time. The thing about it was nobody, nobody last night during the hour that I stayed there during the open mic portion of the show, nobody had like great responses. Some people had some, some people were the usual cringeworthy silences. I was somewhere in the middle. Got some laughs. Got an accidental applause break. And when I say accidental, it's because at one point I mentioned that, uh, First time I had performed there was uh, 1986, 30 years ago. And I did did not pause for applause. I wasn't doing one of those cheesy things where you, hey, uh, so I performed here 30 years ago. And then pause and wait for applause. I didn't do that. I just off the cuff mentioned it as I was heading towards some material. And then they kind of surprised me with applauding. Oh, okay. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks. So like I said, I made a connection. And there's different layers of connections because I I can't tell you how they felt. I can't say that, uh, you know, what their end of the connection was like. But when I say I made made a connection, what I I mean is I was making eye contact and I was talking and I was carrying on the conversation uh, as opposed to just spewing material. And it felt good. And, you know, and this isn't to say what anybody else should be doing because, you know, spewing material is also good. Sometimes having memorized, polished material works. And you know, that's that's fine. But here's just where I'm at now. I'm talking about the year 2016. 1986 was 30 years ago. And as I stood on that stage last night and had this familiar feeling of, yeah, I've been here before. And yet, oh my God, years have passed since I was here. And... You smell that, that's the comedy store. It just has a certain smell to it. <laughs> I'm not going to say good or bad. It's not a wretched smell. It's also not a pleasant smell. It just smells like the comedy store. <laughs> it, it's it's. I, you know, smells are a powerful thing anyway. I know that's sci- there's a scientific reason for that because the olfactory nerve just like connects right to our brain and there's no translation going on. It just goes, <clears throat> smells. You smell something like I smell, what comes to mind is burning grass. I smell this occasionally. I don't smell it very often anymore, but if you smell burning leaves or burning grass, it reminds me of Wisconsin. I I get taken back to, I I only spent the first six years of my life in Wisconsin, but one of the things that I vividly remember is burning grass because they burned their lawns after the winter. I guess, I, I reasons? Fertilization? I don't know. Doesn't matter why. All I know is that the smell of burning grass, boom, brings me right back to being less than six years old. Smells are powerful. So that was one of the things I got last night was just walking into that room. Oh, I remember this place. And even, like I said, even though I've been there a number of times in the last 30 years, there was just something about knowing that this is the 30-year anniversary year. And I can celebrate for the entire year. I don't have to wait until August. It was August something, August 10th. I don't know. I could look it up in my journal doesn't matter, really, in the whole scheme of things. Maybe I'll celebrate that day, but that day won't be on a Sunday. It was I already looked it up. It was like on a Wednesday. But here's the point is that networks or Disneyland, you know, TV networks I'm talking about, or Disneyland, they celebrate their anniversary for the entire year, right? So I'm doing that. I'm going to celebrate for the entire year because I can. I can do whatever I want. And the last night I did. I did what I wanted. And will I do it again this week? I hope so, because that was nice. It was good. It felt good to just get up there, breathe, integrate what I'm feeling now about life and philosophy. And again, I'm not talking about saying it out loud, but just that's the subtext is that what I'm doing on stage is a microcosm of life. And the cool thing about performing is it heightens things. It's, it's one of those things like jumping out of an airplane, which I would never do. But just, you know, I imagine it's the reason why people jump out of airplanes is just that you get that adrenaline rush. And nothing else is going on. Same thing about orgasms. There's nothing else going on. It's there's. It, we're we're uh, we're looking for those things, aren't we? I know I am. I'll, I'll just speak for myself. I'm looking for those things. And while I don't have the drive or the obsession like I did in years gone by, off and on for either uh, stand up or music or acting. I mean, I'm still doing. I'm still acting, I still have an agent, and I still go out on auditions a handful of times a year, get a couple of gigs here and there. But I don't have that desire, that drive, to market myself and to network and to get out there and and on a day-to-day basis, you know, push, 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 and hustle, hustle, hustle. And I shouldn't even say that with a negative tone, except that that's just the way it feels to me. I just don't feel like doing that. So I'm not. But again, that truth lying somewhere in the middle thing, that's where I'm at. That what I'm feeling now is the relationship I want to have. So I'm going to see how this works out. Another six months, I don't want another six months to pass. So I'm I'm thinking maybe this Sunday I'll call again. We'll see. I may or may not get a spot. But when I do, I just want it to be like, we're, we're, you know, we're casually me and comedy, or even in this case, let's be more specific. Me and the comedy store in La Jolla, you know, we're kind of like, we're just dating. We're like, we're just casually dating. We're not boyfriend and girlfriend. You know, it's nothing serious. We're just hanging out, you know, chilling, maxing, relaxing. <laughs> Chillin', Max, and Relax. And I I, uh, get made fun of by my kids, especially by my daughter Autumn, because I don't know all of the lyrics to The Fresh Prince from Bel-Air. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. To The Fresh Prince theme song. And apparently, you know, uh, that really came to light when we were watching a British talk show from not long ago. And, you know, The Fresh Prince was on in the early to mid-90s, right? So my kids weren't even born back then, and they know all the lyrics to it. And apparently everybody else in the world does too because we were watching this British talk show where they had Will Smith and some other people from the Fresh Prince uh, cast uh, on the talk show, and and they started playing the theme song, and they cut to the audience, and everybody in the audience, their mouth was moving along to the words. I'm well, holy shit. I guess I'm really the only person in the world that only knows a few words from that theme song. Chillin', maxin', relaxin'. Start to make a trouble in my neighborhood. You know, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Boy, do I go off on tangents. But you know what? That's what I do. That's what I do. And that's kind of that's the integration part again, because when I do go hang out again with my with my long-lost lover, the comedy store in La Jolla. We're going to hang and we're going to enjoy each other's company. And whatever audience members happen to be there representing audience members everywhere. (laughs) God, I'm trying to turn this into something bigger than it really is. Here's here's the thing about it is I'm just going to enjoy it. There will be no death. There will be no... Oh, my God, I bombed. No. And I'm not talking about being delusional, like ignoring the fact that if I'm not getting laughs or no, I'm saying, you know, if I'm not getting laughs, that's fine. Like last night, you know, when when the inevitable new joke doesn't get a laugh thing happens, I just brought attention to that and then relieved the tension and then they'd laugh about that. That's called a saver, folks, but I don't need to get into the the technical aspects, but I guess since I mentioned it, I will. If you do a joke and it doesn't work, and you just go straight to the next joke, it's not giving the next joke a chance. You need to relieve the tension somehow by bringing attention to the fact the joke didn't work in one way or another. Bring attention to that, say something funny, off the cuff, whatever. Whatever. Even sometimes something as funny is something as simple as, oh, well, I thought you would laugh at that, but you didn't. And usually that kind of thing will get a laugh, or at least a smile. And that's what happened last night. And a little accidental applause break, some chuckles, a couple of full-fledged laughs and some smiles, and it, it was fine. But let's say, here, so here's another goal. If I get up there and the entire time people are just staring at me and not laughing, I don't want that to feel like death. I don't want that to be the, oh my God, I bombed, I died. It'd be like, no, I'm still smiling and looking. I'm not panicking. I'm not saying, uh, uh what's next? What's next? You know, some of those hacky kind of stand-up things where you go, oh, uh, uh, what do you want to talk about now? None of that. Just talking. We're talking, okay? We're just hanging out. Just you you and me. You and me are hanging out here inside of my girlfriend, the comedy store. We're hanging out inside of my girlfriend. Yeah, that's what we're doing. Just talking. That's the subtext. Who knows? Maybe I'll make that the actual text sometimes. I can share. I can do the meta the meta comedy thing and, you know, talk about the process itself. I mean, why not? Whatever. But here's the goal and we'll see how often it happens. And uh, maybe I'll report back here again the next Monday after I perform and talk about that Do another Monday morning quarterback and see how that went. I'm looking down. I'm saying, Hey, Uh, Speaking of like not having specific plans or goals, not pursuing anything, I didn't plan on doing an hour, but I've pretty much done that. In fact, as I've mentioned before, I've done 56 minutes and 47 seconds. I've done actually like more than a TV hour because a TV hour is actually like 42 minutes. And I guess the fact that I'm mentioning the time and looking down at the time means that I'm done and I don't need to stretch this out to be an hour. Do I? No, of course I don't. I'm going to do a little different outro music. Cause I don't know if you know, why would you know if you're one of my three and a half loyal listeners, then you may know that the music I play at the beginning and the end of this uh, podcast, it's called on a sunny day. And that's a song r- written by me and recorded by me in a studio back in 2008. So holy shit, that's already been eight years ago. I had written a lot of songs when I was a teenager and into my twenties and I haven't written that much since then. I don't remember exactly when I wrote on a sunny day or this next song I'm about to play. But all I know is that it took me until I was 48 years old in 2008 to actually record a collection. (laughs) We'll call it an album. Cause Hey, you can actually find it on iTunes and other places. The album is called Subject to Change by Joe Palin. <laughs> and no, I'm not plugging it, although I guess I guess I just did. That wasn't my intent, though. All I was really trying to do was give some context here because the music I play going in and going out is on a sunny day because I kind of like that. I like the sentiment behind that song, the especially the line, just when I have all the answers, all the questions change. I thought that was... You know, kind of nice, going along with the theme of a podcast. Especially this one, since this podcast is not about anything in particular. Today it was about something in particular, but what I'm meaning is overall... Hey, I I called the podcast... uh, Oh God, what did I call it? I've got nothing to say, but it's okay. Yes, that's a lyric from a Beatles song. This next song is called Hey Joe. It is the only song I've written that has my name in it. I'm not that megalomaniacal. It's also the only song I've written that has the same title as another song. Hey Joe is a Jimi Hendrix song, in case you didn't know. And no, I didn't do that for purposes of saying, hey, people could find this on Spotify or iTunes and maybe get tricked. No, I wouldn't do that because why would I want somebody... If somebody's looking for Hey Joe by Jimi Hendrix and they find my song, they're going to be pissed, right? But here's Hey Joe, at least I had it queued up. I think when I put this in the in my Boss Jock app, my DJ app here, I think had it queued up to the appropriate spot, some lyrics that I wanted to share as an outro. So I haven't tried this before, let's see how it goes. This has been me, Joe Palin, and now this is Hey Joe, or at least a part of it as the uh, going away present for this episode of the podcast, the Monday Afternoon Quarterback. Thanks for listening. Hey, Joe. What you gonna do with your life When you're gonna at your age Anytime you did it right Hey, Joe. Don't you have something better to do Than dream your whole life away When you're gonna see it through Hey, Joe.